Hello and welcome back to Eldritch Girl. Many thanks to Jemadiah for the intro-outro theme. We're on chapter 15 and we left Wes thinking that he's averted the orgiastic frenzy of cultists obsessed with his face. Oh, Wes, did you really think it would be that easy? <laughs> um, chapter 15 has the usual content warnings for gore and interfamily violence. It's from Theo's insider point of view, so it's got that tone of obsession and addiction to it as well. I've just updated my Kofi shop with a new free novelette, long short story for members only. If you do want to join as a member, you now get four free ebooks for the low, low price of £3 per month. If you want to check that out, um, the new free one is an Eglantine Pritchard story. So if you're interested in Eglantine Pritchard as a character, she's cropped up in the background quite a lot of this series, so you should know who she is. The story for her starts in 1904 when she's a kid and it goes to 1912 when she's 16 and she's in boarding school. And it's kind of like her a little bit of her backstory when she's aware that she's got powers and kind of like a sapphic lovers to enemies thing with her roommate in boarding school. And she's a scholarship girl and her roommate is very much not a scholarship girl. Her roommate is Gwendolyn Mostyn Jenkins, who is a cadet branch of the Mostyn family, who are quite a big family in North Wales, based in North Wales. Gwendolyn's family come from Aberystwyth in the short story. And Gwen is bi. Uh, Eglantine is a lesbian. And it's basically like sapphic love at a girl's school um, until Egg finds out that <laughs> Gwen is probably evil. <laughs> Delicious. Um, so, and also Egg kind of helps her with a ritual where it comes apparent that Gwen is in league with some pretty dark forces. It's kind of like Algin and Blackwood's The Willows meets Arthur Mackin's The White People. So uh, I'm kind of playing with those classic weird fiction stories, but making it sapphic and kind of YA, I guess. It's not really YA, but you know, they're, they're like 16, so... Um, but I don't think the tone of it is YA. They're just young. And then I'm going to move on and do like their story in World War One, And then you're going to get uh, their reconciliation kind of thing. Because um, Gwen is or becomes Eglantine's life partner. And they move to Pagamon Sea together after the war. Um, and you get to see all of their backstory. I'm exploring this a little bit in the Kofi letters that are coming monthly to members. So on top of the four free ebooks that you get in my Kofi shop, you also get um, free monthly fiction. And some of that is plot for other stories and building to other things. Uh, most of it is contemporary fiction from the point of view of Katie and Carrie in particular. You also get letters from Wes. Ricky has written like a little bit, but but Ricky's, Ricky's not that good at writing. He reads a lot, but his writing is really, really bad. So <laughs> so he usually just like signs his name. But um, yeah, so you've got like cards and stuff. And if, if you join at the lower tier, you get access to all of those Kofi posts. Um, and I've actually put up a Kofi post master list on cmrosens.com. So if you want to catch up with all the short stories and everything that you've got access to, you can just go on cmrosens.com and all the stuff is linked there so you, you won't miss a post. So hopefully I'll see you over there. Enjoy. But you also get like exclusive 
bits and pieces and deleted scenes. Um, I've put up some deleted scenes from The Day We Ate Grandad already. I'll put up some more later on. Yeah, enjoy. I'm going to put some bonus audio up as well um, at the end of this season because after The Day We Ate Grandad, the next chronological book, which is already out and you can already buy it, is called The Sussex Fretzel Massacre. And it's set chronologically after this novel. It's just a novella, but I'm going to put that as an audio after this one. I'm also going to do the audio for The Reluctant Husband, which is a prequel set in 1938. That's available as an ebook now for you to buy. Members get it for free. And I'm also going to do the audio for the exclusive short story, Gerald, which is a Ricky backstory story, which is the first time he meets Merlin as a 10 year old. That's been out a little while. And it's if you want it in hardback, it's in the hardback version of The Crows and only in the hardback version of The Crows, which you can only get from Amazon. That's the anniversary edition, which has the new cover by Rebecca Kenny. It has a map of the town by Dewey uh, Dewey writes on Twitter. Dewey Hargraves is his name, and he does amazing maps of fantasy and urban maps and things like that. I really recommend commissioning him. He's also got a book out called The Shield Road, which is an anthology of fantasy short stories, which are all connected by setting and I think character, but... Yes, if you like um, short stories and fantasy, I recommend The Shield Road by Dewey Hargreaves and also commissioning him for maps. It has Gerald in the back, which is the exclusive short story, which was edited by CJ Subco. And you can hire and commission CJ for query letters as well as um, edits and things like that. So uh, if you want to buy the hardback version from me, you can do that. I have a couple of copies left and they're in book boxes, which come with scented candles of your choice made by Avalon Alchemy. So you've got the Fairwood House one, which is in a teacup and you get the the candle in a teacup with a little saucer and you get I think that's Earl Grey and Lavender and then there's the Pagamon Sea one which is in a tin a lovely little blue grey tin and that is sea salt and peppermint which is absolutely stunning I've got a couple of those and I will also if you message me I will do some annotations in the book for you because the hardback has really wide margins on purpose for annotations and I will annotate a chapter of your choice or a theme of your choice or just put some stuff in that you know you're interested in um, or I can surprise you just let me know chapter 15's header is bound by no human rules. That's a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And the full quote is, I believe that in public worship, we should do well to be bound by no human rules. That's taken from Flashes of Thought, 1000 Choice Extracts from the Works of C.H. Spurgeon from 1874, page 506. So, I'm not sure that's what this quote should be used for, but there we go. Uh, Chapter 15. Bound by no human rules. 11th of May. The true face consumed Theo in its void of limitless desire. In that moment when he had glimpsed the mirage that broke the shrine, it had burrowed into his brain forever. It had settled there, unobtrusive at first, except for the itch of a precious memory tantalisingly out of reach. But then, in the space of an hour, it changed 
Theo couldn't describe it, but he'd fallen to the floor in a faint with the others, like a nuclear bomb had gone off in his brain. The true face burst through him, setting every fibre of him on fire, free, wild, unmoored and dangerous, free falling through his consciousness and dragging everything down with it. Theo had no idea what was waiting at the bottom. He was not alone. Numbed to the death of Jem and his brothers, the remnant of the remnant remained in the warehouse, tending to their shattered shrine. The rest went back to their lives, falling away in misery and complaining of a hole in their heads, an absence in their memories that hadn't been there before, but had no idea what Theo and the few others were talking about. People experienced the true face in different ways, Theo thought, and that made sense. It was indefinable, indescribable. It had to be experienced but only a few would truly be moved. As far as he was aware, the unmoved amongst them were trying to live like nothing happened, like they hadn't failed to bring Grandad through, like they'd never even tried. Some continued their rituals of sacrifice to the Death God, who was now protecting the Wend McVeighs. Theo's group chats erupted in indignation at this news. Who were the Wen McVeighs but corrupted, weak vessels of glory? They should be ripped out at the root and burned on the welcome pyres as their grandsire reigned triumphant. Why would the 13th ignore their sacrifices and protect a lesser branch? She chooses the lesser things of this world to shame the strong, Theo's uncle posted, and his explanation gained traction. She shows us the Death God is a guardian and protector, a balance between the worlds, and we can entrust our sacrifices to her safekeeping. Death is a blessing, and when the old watcher arises, the living will be doubly blessed. Theo didn't care for the old watcher, their grandsire, any more. He had fled the church when the Death God appeared, but now he didn't even care about her. He cared about the image burned into his brain, its details slippery and evasive, but its presence gnawing away at him and spreading through his whole being with invisible fire. Theo wondered if the true face was more powerful even than Grandad. They worked tirelessly, sleeping in the warehouse among the bloodstains and broken machines. Theo hadn't been to work for days, and hadn't bothered to go home yet either. For the first time in his life he was single-minded. This was it. The true face was the one. Theo was charging his phone in a cafe near the warehouse where the message came through. The cafe belonged to another cultist and true face believer who lived above it. Where are you? Natalie Shaw texted him, his closest cousin. I'm already in London, but no one knows where you are. Why are you in London? Theo messaged back. What's up? Cousin Tally asked, putting a mug of coffee in front of him. Even she had given up on almost everything but the reconstruction of the shrine. Her cafe was exclusively for cult use, the closed sign turned outwards and the front door locked. Cousin Tally was in her fifties, square face framed with straightened layers that badly needed a stylist, her eyes bearing the same sunken look Theo recognised from his own reflection in the cafe mirror. "'I don't know,' Theo admitted. His phone vibrated as Natalie replied. Four question marks. "'The summoning?' question mark. Theo stared at the screen. Did you feel anything? Cousin Tally shook her head. Theo rang Natalie. What are you on about? he asked as soon as she answered. The summoning? Can't you feel it? How is it not ripping your chest out? Natalie sounded like she was somewhere busy with automated announcements. Theo guessed a train station. I can't feel anything? He looked at Tally for corroboration, but she shook her head. Who's doing it? Can't feel it? Are you fucking serious? 
Natalie sounded breathless. It's the soothsayer. How are you not feeling it? It's the worst I've ever felt. Worse than a family one when Great Aunt Beverly was alive. Thea remembered that sharp pain under his breastbone, knives between his ribs, the irresistible forceps pinch around his heart. Way worse. How are you not getting this? Theo didn't know, but the true face in its spreading balm was melded to him from the inside. That must be something to do with it, the true face claiming him as its own, and now he was untouchable. Theo's breath caught in his throat. I've seen the true face, he managed, welling with evangelistic zeal. I've seen it for myself when we opened the shrine. What are you talking about? Whose face? Grandad's? Better. Theo didn't know how to make her understand. I saw the true face in the outside and it was beautiful and now I'm I'm part of it. I'm part of it and it's part of me and it's wonderful. Why are you talking like that? Natalie sounded less than impressed. What's the matter with you? No, no, you have to try and understand, Theo said, accidentally kicking the table and jogging the coffee mug. Oh my God, we're immune. We're immune from the soothsayer summons. We belong to the true face. It's blessed us. Oh my God, Nats, it's all real. What's real? You're freaking me out. The blessings, the favour, all of it. But it's not Grandad. The true face is something else, something better, something that will unite us. Theo was babbling, thoughts racing faster than he could articulate them. He closed his eyes and tried to slow down. I don't even know if I'm working this out by myself or if it is telling me somehow. You're scaring me, Natalie dropped her voice. I'm getting the tube so I'll lose you in a sec. This may have been just her excuse to hang up. Theo said hello repeatedly, but the call cut off. He looked at Cousin Tally. The soothsayer is summoning us, and we can't feel anything. Tally frowned, lines deepening around her mouth. The soothsayer is powerful, but where's he been? Why now? Do you think he's foreseen something? Theo shivered, a feverish chill vibrating through his marrow. Do you think one of us should go see? You should go. Cousin Allison said from the counter, helping herself to a tea cake. Tell them the rest of us are dead. We'll stay and repair the shrine. Theo liked this idea. Like a spy? It would be the most exciting thing he'd ever done, and he'd even taken up hang gliding once to impress Gavin Foreman and make Jem jealous. You carry the true face inside you, Cousin Allison murmured, her normally rich, lively brown eyes glassy and dull with its blessing. Bear it to them. Nats wouldn't listen, Theo said ruefully, his cousin's tone paining him. She didn't understand. Cousin Tally glared at her sister as Alison began picking the raisins out of her tea cake, a muscle twitching under her left eye. Words aren't enough. You can't describe something that must be experienced. The face will guide you, Alison said with certainty. I feel it in me, pressing against the inside of my skin. Don't you feel it too? Like an emptiness that's full of something. But every time I try and confront it, there's nothing there. How do you explain that? Theo felt it everywhere. He nodded. Shouldn't we run it by the others? Why? There's no authority but the face. Cousin Tally smiled, a rapturous stretching of her lips that distorted her square jaw and gave her a ghastly expression. Do as you feel. The freedom in this made Theo giddy. There was no pleasing anybody any more. The face didn't need to be pleased. It offered only a life of reckless abandon. It blessed Theo with its innate hunger for extremes, for sensation, for stimulation, and Theo only resisted a little out of fear of getting it wrong. 
all right, he said, as the true face welled up in him like a tide, washing his resistance away. I'll go. Enter all our names in the death roll, Cousin Tally instructed. We don't want the unenlightened trying to stop us. There were some who didn't want Grandad to come through, let alone something they don't understand at all. We'll make them see, Alison said, crumbling the tea cake between her fingers and leaving crumbs on the cafe counter. Theo knew how much Cousin Tally hated it when Alison did that. Cousin Tally's face didn't change, but a light went on behind her eyes. Theo felt a tug in his lungs, the true face thirsting for something original. Tally's glory erupted from the sides of her neck, a frill of double-jointed insectoid limbs ending in sharp, toxic points, and attacked her sister in a sudden frenzy. Theo stood rooted to the spot as blood splattered everywhere, gushing over the till and the glass cabinet of baked goods. The true face within him filled him with envy at Tally's blissful smile and tinkling laugh as she ripped her sister's fingers off her hands, everything blending into a single chiming note in Theo's ears, until he couldn't tell what was laughter and what was screaming. Do as you feel, the void that was the true face demanded, hollowing him out. That is true worship. I'll be off then, he said over the din as the sisters tore each other apart, festooned with each other's flesh like wood sprites adorning themselves with garlands. Pools of dark blood spread across the linoleum. He picked his way across to the door and let himself out. It was time to head to London. Chapter 15, Part 2 A middle-aged man with russet brown hair was waiting for Theo in the car park, leaning against a lamppost. At least it felt that way. There was no one else around, and the man straightened up when Theo crossed the pothole tarmac to his car. Theo, is it? The rich Welsh lilt was unfamiliar. Theo stopped. He didn't recognise the man at all. It wasn't a relative. Do I know you? The man chuckled. Not at all, and I barely know you, so my advantage is only very slight. Theo didn't know what to say to that. As he floundered for words, the man seemed to shift before his eyes, becoming both ageless and ageing, until Theo doubted his senses. "'How do you know me at all?' he asked, wondering if this was a hook-up he'd forgotten about, or if the true face had visited him in human form. He was willing to believe anything. The man chuckled. "'Funny story. I was in Newport. The high street's not what it used to be these days. And I met someone asking for a cigarette. I looked into the flame of his lighter, and there you were.' So, here I am. Theo's mouth went dry. What do you want? The man smiled at him with eyes like pins, piercing and pricking beneath Theo's skin. He felt the true face shifting over his bones, its impossible presence squirming under the scrutiny, evading examination. I want you to tell the faceless man the truth when you see him, the man said, and Theo couldn't focus on anything other than the ocean in the depths of his eyes. He wasn't even close enough to see them properly, and yet they filled his consciousness and erased any other details. He realised he was seeing the world as the true face did, feeling the man's presence within himself, and the man was not human, and reeked of danger. Theo's nape prickled. The faceless man? Is he the origin of what's inside you? Yes, that's right. The stranger straightened, growing taller, filling Theo's vision with forested hills and rivers running to the sea. Do not lie to him. Why can't you tell him? Theo asked Dizzy. The true face told him the answer, bubbling up to his conscious mind from a space within him he couldn't access any more. 
The man has no real power here. His stories don't include us. The knowledge washed through his head, riding a cresting wave, something cold and external to him providing it, but the wave itself withdrew before he could examine it or tell where it had come from, leaving only the information behind. Theo blinked. Oh, you can't, can you? You can't come near the shrine, and you can't appear where there's too many of us. The man reduced down from a landscape of rugged wildness, and into the attractive middle-aged bear that Theo would fall for in a heartbeat if he wasn't so damn empty. The true face was a hungry void in his soul that nothing could fill. Just tell him the truth, the man said. I promised them I would not return unless they invited me. You need strength from ground we cannot enter, Theo said, with a vague impression he was reading off a placard placed behind his eyes. Or else you need us one at a time. He sniggered, a laugh that wasn't his and didn't suit him. Too bad, old man. I'm speaking to Theo, not you, the man snapped sternly, and the words dissipated in Theo's head, leaving it empty. Theo took a breath that was his own, and noticed the car park looked different. Nature was reclaiming the tarmac, seedlings sprouting through the dark, crumbling potholes, ivy climbing over the far wall. "'You're not yourself,' the man said softly. "'Do you even remember who you are?' Theo wasn't sure he ever had. He reached inside himself and came up with nothing. "'I'll say whatever the true face wants me to say,' Theo said, seeking internal inspiration." The man gave him a sad smile, stroking his beard. "'We'll see. The way to worship anything properly is in honesty and truth, but the thing that's inside you only knows how to hide and conceal.' "'That's not true,' Theo bristled as if at a personal insult. "'You don't know anything. You don't know how this feels.' He dared to take a few steps forward, and the car park rippled around him into a flat square of white lines, the saplings melting down to fill the holes and rendering the whole place smooth and man-made. He could make it to his car with no bother, just a few paces beyond the stranger. "'You can't touch me,' Theo said, but he wasn't certain of that. The strange man shrugged. "'I won't stop you. Go. But tell him the truth.' Theo made it to his car and leapt in, slamming the door. He gripped the wheel for a long moment of uncertainty, trying to convince himself it was real, and focused on the feel of it under his hands. When he looked around for the man, checking the windows and mirrors, there was nobody there.